0: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Oh My Allergies podcast. This is your hostess with the mostest, Valencia. And if you are new here, the Oh My Allergies podcast is a podcast about all things allergies. Whether you have food allergies, seasonal allergies, skin allergies, or even your pet has allergies, Oh My Allergies is a safe space for discussions for those that need a bit of advice and support from someone who understands their struggle. Let's learn how to navigate life and learn how to thrive with our allergies together. Hey guys welcome back to the oh my allergies podcast if you have not subscribed to the podcast already make sure you do so on your podcast platform of choice also give us a follow on our instagram page it's at oh my allergies so o-h-m-y-a-l-l-e-r-g-i-e-s make sure that you follow us on instagram just to keep up with us and what we are doing we post inspirational quotes we post Uh, memes. We post uh, different information about each of our episodes, different little clips. We post things about when we're going to be having a guest, if there's going to be some sort of a break or a hiatus on the podcast. So definitely hit us up on our Instagram page just to keep in contact with us. But in a two days episode, we're talking with Leah Robolotto from the Food Allergy Institute about the emotional impact of food allergies on parents and kids. We talked with her about her experience with her son having food allergies, her business, the Food Allergy Institute, how to keep food allergic individuals safe and included in everyday activities, advocating for your kids at their school, and just so much more. But before we get into today's episode, you guys know I have to tell you all what's been going on. (laughs) So what's been going on with me is that I just started Zoom University back up again. So usually when I start a whole new semester, I make a new screensaver for my computer just to have positive affirmations on my computer because I'm on my computer so much more now because of everything being online and virtual and then I also made a folder on my computer for the new semester. I try to do that to keep my school documents as organized as possible so that it's not super hard to find anything that I need throughout the semester. I also do the same thing on my iPad because I digitally take notes on there so I use OneNote for that and so I make little folders within OneNote to be able to keep my notes organized as well. So if I need to do a refresher when I'm, um, you know, studying for different quizzes or things like that, it just really helps with organizing and just making the process just super easy to find anything that I need. But this semester, I am taking three classes that I'm actually genuinely interested in and I don't have to take these classes, but I'm taking them because I actually am interested in the topic. But I am taking... Um, sports communication, I'm taking cultural communications, and this nonprofit leadership class. And it's just crazy to think that this is my last semester of college, it's just very hard for me to wrap my head around that, I literally was just talking to one of my sorority sisters the other day, that's also graduating with me, and we were like, where has the time literally gone? Like seriously, it's just so crazy how four years has gone by so fast but I've been busy with that and then also um, I've just been getting busy with a lot of my student organizations that I'm a part of Um, for my sorority we're actually doing a whole week of events this week so been busy with that so that's basically what I've been up to just trying to get into the swing of things we just had syllabus week so just trying to get everything in order get an understanding of what the different assignments are gonna be throughout the semester and then just going from there but I feel like the assignments have definitely ramped up I was literally talking with one of my other sorority sisters and we were just like these professors were just not playing they were just like day one okay homework so I'm just like okay okay I've not been having to deal with this for like a couple months now and then just trying to get back into that grind like I said in last week's episode of having to do homework having to study having to go to my student organizations that I have obligations to and just getting back into the swing of things but now that I talked about What's been going on with me, I can get right into my Foodie Likes. So, one of my Foodie Likes that I've been loving as of lately has been these vegan spelt brownies from Whole Foods. You know, I haven't been a dessert person for about a few years now, but lately i've just really just been into these vegan brownies from whole foods Uh, they taste so moist and they have like this boldness that I really just love from like dark chocolate in them and they are gooey and moist and they just taste so good. I try to eat like half of one because they are just really that rich, but sometimes I'll eat like the whole brownie and let me just tell you that sucker is really thick and big, but I'll usually eat like one of those or either half of those, like if I'm watching a TV show like The Bachelor or something like that or just like TV in general, but I highly recommend them if you can have gluten because like I said they're spelt brownies so there is wheat in them but if you can have that but you want or need like some sort of a vegan brownie alternative then definitely try these out because they taste so so good uh, another one of my foodie likes has also been from Whole Foods because uh, we've just been going to Whole Foods a lot lately it's their vegan croissants like when I tell you that this has been my addiction lately because I eat these pretty much every day for breakfast because they are just that good. They taste like actual legit croissants and it's just super crazy because they're vegan. And you know, I'm not really crazy about the price because it's $7 for a box of four, but that's that whole food tax for you. I highly recommend them. They've just been me and my mom's go-to. I've been eating them like crazy to the point where like she would buy them for the house and then now like I buy my own stash because I literally eat them every single day. And actually the day that I'm recording this is the very first day I've not had one in a while. Like I had one yesterday, but I didn't have one today. Normally I would have them like every single day for breakfast. So I'm trying to be able to stagger it so that I can be nicer to my wallet. Because spending $7 two times a week, which is $14 a week on croissants, that sounds really crazy. But they're just that good. So I try to limit myself and try to pace myself when I'm eating them so that I'm just not buying croissants all the time because they cost a lot. But like I said, highly recommend because they are just that good. Another one of my favorites is also from Whole Foods, because like I said, been going there a lot lately. It's, I don't really know how to pronounce this chocolate brand, but it's spelled R-A-A-K-A. I'm gonna say Raka. I don't know if I'm butchering that name. If I am, I'm so sorry, but it's spelled R-A-A-K-A. I tried the mini version of this chocolate bar that they have, it's their uh, coconut milk, Bar. And like I said, I got it from Whole Foods. And apparently, the chocolate is made from this like Ugandan cacao from this forest. I think it's called the Sumaliki Forest. And it's also made with pure shredded coconut, big fan of coconut, and it tastes absolutely amazing. It's vegan dark milk chocolate, which I've never come across a dark milk chocolate for. It's either dark chocolate or milk chocolate, so. But I'm really happy to find like a happy medium, and it just tastes super silky, it tastes super bold, and it's super smooth, which is how I like my chocolate snacks. So... Definitely recommend it. I only purchased three of the mini bars because I wasn't sure if I was gonna like it and I only got it because it was on sale for like 67 cents each. So I was like, eh, you know, I'm not gonna be losing out on much money if I don't like it. So next time we go, I'll probably get more because they are just that good. So highly recommend if you are trying to find new chocolate to try. But those are my foodie likes as of late. So now that I'm done with my foodie legs, I can get right into the allergy news. So today's allergy news article is an article from the Daily Mail. It's actually more so of like a pop culture piece and not really like a scientific type of article that I'm going to be talking about today. The article talks about how Chrissy Teigen went on her insta stories to talk about her having an allergic reaction that had affected her lips and the article talked about how she felt like she might be responding to some sort of a pesticide or something like that that was on an orange that she had been into and I know that having a pesticide allergy it is possible but I know that if people tend to suffer from seasonal allergies and people who have some sort of produce food item even if you have washed it you know appropriately that you could most likely have this thing called food pollen syndrome or oral allergy syndrome I could actually do a whole episode about this because I know people who personally like suffer from this but basically just to go over it really quickly there are certain proteins that are found in like some fruits and vegetables that are similar to the ones that are found in pollen so if you eat those foods the proteins can confuse your immune system and cause allergic symptoms to happen to you which can also be referred to as cross reactivity but if you all want me to like do a whole podcast episode on this let us know by sending us a dm on our instagram page which is at oh my allergies and also give us a follow to just keep up with what we are doing if you just haven't done so already but I'm not Chrissy Teigen, nor am I her doctor or a doctor in general, so I can't speak directly, you know, on her symptoms and her allergic reaction. However, I think that it's great that more public figures are speaking up and speaking out about allergic reactions and sharing their experiences with the public. I think that, you know, if more people talk about allergies and allergic reactions, more people will become more educated on the topic of allergies and allergic reactions and how it affects your immune system and know to take them more seriously and not think that they're a joke or anything like that because some people were like making fun and saying like oh like she probably just got lip injections or something like that but it's like no like an allergic reaction is serious and you should take it seriously so I think that if more and more people that have food allergies or have allergies in general or have kids that have allergies and they tend to speak up more and more about this topic I think that more people will learn oh like if someone eats this food, then this could happen to them. Or, oh, if somebody, you know, comes in contact with latex or if someone, you know, comes in contact with, you know, sulfites or something like that, then X could happen to them. So I think that, like I said, this is really great that more people are talking about them. But I think that we should see a lot more of this happening to, you know, celebrities and other public figures in the media, in an entertainment. But that is my allergy news. Like I said, it came from the Daily Mail. And like always, I always link the Allergy News article in our show notes, so be sure to click on that just so you can see the story yourself. But with that being said, we can get right into today's episode, the meat of the episode, which is my conversation with Leah Roboloto. If you are not familiar with Leah Roboloto, Leah is a food allergy expert and the founder of the Food Allergy Institute. She specializes in empowering educators, parents, and children to overcome the psychological impact of and implement practical solutions for managing life-threatening chronic illnesses. Leah has trained thousands of clients on how to keep food allergic individuals safe and included in everyday activities at educational institutions, in restaurants, and even at work and while traveling. Leah's extensive background in food allergies includes years of work in patient advocacy at a national nonprofit called the Food Allergy Research and Education Organization and rewriting food policy for top schools in Atlanta. She lives in Atlanta with her husband and two sons, one of whom was diagnosed with eight life-threatening food allergies, which we talk about in today's episode when he was just six months old. So without further ado, let's just get right into the episode with Miss Leah (laughs) Roboloto. thank you so much for coming on to the Oh My Allergies podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So before we get started, each episode I talk about my foodie likes. So basically I talk about my favorite items that are related to food. So it could be, you know, a snack, a book about food, a food item, or a favorite meal that you had lately. So I just wanted to ask you, what are some of your favorite foodie likes right now?
1: So it's unusually cold here although it is finally warming up here in the Atlanta area and one of the goals for our family and for my allergic kid was to cook for himself more Um, he's 11 now and so we want him to be more and more independent so one of the favorite things he likes to cook is chili um, and it's free of the top eight and he can make it pretty much by himself he's still working (laughs) on sort of the um, stirring without creating a tidal wave all over the stove (laughs) But it's turkey chili, it's got black beans in it, lots of vegetables, but no allergens in it. And everyone loves it. Everyone eats it. It's nice and warm on these cold, dark nights. So it's one of my favorite go-to sort of dinners, plus it makes a ton because I don't know how to seem to make small portions of anything, (laughs) Um, but especially having a preteen tween boy who eats constantly. It's nice to have leftovers that keep well. And you know, they can scoop it with tortilla chips. My husband likes it with cornbread that I make, um, which I have not successfully made allergy free cornbread that everyone make, likes. Um, so, for the allergy, gluten intolerant, um, there's some corn chips that the kids like. And then I also make some cornbread, I'd say half the time with it. Um, but it's good on its own. You can use dairy-free cheese on top of it, regular cheese if you don't have a dairy allergy or just on its own. So that's sort of our, our lately sort of yummy foodie thing that we've been eating.
0: Yeah, I really am a big fan of chili. Mm -hmm. Um, Since I'm a vegetarian, I usually will either just have, like, beans in it or will just have, like, a a meat substitute in it. Yeah. um, Like crumbles or something like that. So definitely, I actually had chili a few nights ago, so it was really good. And it's one of those things, like you said, that, you know, it... Uh, it's really good, like leftovers, you know, it's very, you know, easy to make relatively and it just tastes so good. And especially with it being cold now and you just want to feel warm. So definitely, definitely yeah. love chili.
1: And I have some really good sort of just mixed bean ones. So we have lots of, and you know, what's nice is you can make it spicy or not so spicy. And, you know, if half like it's spicy and half don't, you can sort of adjust the spiciness Um purple if you just make it sort of mild and then, you know, the adults can, add the spices later too. So it's just a quick and easy sort of weeknight go-to.
0: Right. Are you a person that likes spicy chili or are you a person that's like spice is not for me?
1: <laughs> I love spiciness. Um, I grew up in the Northeast, but we lived in Texas for a significant period of time. So I really got used to eating kind of more spicier food. Um, And, you know, like now we're in Georgia, there's nothing really spicy in Georgia, (laughs) Um, but I like spicier foods. My um, kids don't, don't love spices. My older one's starting to love some spicier food. Um, But, you know, that's kind of a uh, normal progression with kids and eating. Um, It's funny when they were little, like they would catch me eating something, you know, sugary or something I really didn't want to share. And I'd be like, oh, you wouldn't like this. It's spicy. And it would be like cheesecake. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: funny. I don't like this it's spicy. You're not gonna like it. It's very spicy. Get it's away. Funny. <laughs> so another question that I have for you is, if you could, you know, describe allergies in one word, you know, from a parent's perfe- from a parent's perspective, uh, what would it be, and why?
1: Um. So there's a. It's hard to break it down to one word. I would say challenging probably is my, is the first one that sort of popped into my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, with parenting, there's always challenges. So I would say this is one of many challenges, but it's it's a bigger challenge than maybe some of the other ones because with that challenge is can, is anxiety and stress. And there's a giant learning curve from the time you have say your first reaction and diagnosis and trying to figure out the right diagnosis. And it's just, it's such a big learning curve. And in a lot of family cases, including ours, you go from having an anaphylactic reaction to here's a EpiPen, here's what your kid we think shouldn't eat. Um, we hope he doesn't die. Like, wait, what? <laughs> like, um, So it's, it's such a big life altering diagnosis. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a big challenge, you know, but there's, there's other challenges. So it, it is overcomable, it is manageable. And that's, you know, that's really what we help families do. It's, it's a manageable challenge.
0: Yeah, and I definitely agree with that, especially in the beginning of your diagnosis. You just feel like the world is coming to an end and you're just like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, like you said, that you deal with, you know, food allergy anxiety, you know, whether it's from, you know, the person that has it to the people around them because they're like, ah, like, I don't know if this will be good for them or not, if it will cause a reaction. So definitely I can see how it's been challenging just personally speaking, you know, from me and my family, how, you know, I'm the main person who has food allergies in my family. So definitely for them having to adjust, whether, you know, traditionally having like Thanksgiving and having those types of gatherings where um, you you come around your family and they might not know what to do in those situations.
1: Right. You know, and it's a cultural thing with food. It's, you know, in my family, I come from a big Italian family and sharing food is a way of showing love and, you know, here, taste this, try that, mm-hmm. you know, put the spoon into when you're making pasta sauce, you would put a, a piece of pasta in to taste it. We well, can't do that anymore. Um, because we have all the top eight except for soy in our house. Um, so if you put a regular piece of pasta in to taste it, you've now just contaminated the sauce. You know, you can't use the same spoon on everything. You can't sort of. So one thing my parents really had a struggle learning, not that they didn't want to, but it was, you know, 50 years of habit of mixing everything. And So the cross-contamination was a real challenge. The here, taste this was a reality. We had an epileptic incident at my parents' house because my father, not even thinking, gave my son a piece of chicken Parmesan because he loved it. And he was like, oh, it's just like a chicken nugget here. And I, you know, I was across the room holding my then other son, who was an infant. And I was like, wait, no, like you can't drop the baby. And, you know, it was too late. It was, it's seconds count. And so, you know, yeah. I'm screaming at my, at my husband to grab the epi who was already doing it. And my father was like, what just happened? And he's like, I'm so confused. Like, well, you see now he's vomiting and has hives and you just put him in anaphylactic shock. And he was like, he had one lick. That's all it takes." Wow. So it's that, that sort of familiar cultural part of eating is such a part of everyday life. You know, when I talk to large groups about food allergies and the impact on life, I really start with, what did you do today? And even if it's the morning, they've already probably had breakfast. They've had coffee. They, you know, they've had some sort of food because I'm not talking to people at five o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, but you know, if it's evening or it's been a weekend, you know, there's been events around food, there's happy hours, there's dinners, there's luncheons when we're not all living on zoom, uh, you know, but you've had social interactions that revolve around food. So you have to teach kids at a young age, how to eat in a group setting, how to order with allergies, how to go to college with allergies and how to keep yourself safe, even high school. Um, you want them to be able to go out with their friends and be normal and have regular activities and be inclusive and all the things that happen in regular life. You don't want them to go to right. their first happy hour, you know, as part of a work event, and freeze, or even worse, have an allergic reaction. That's one way to make right. a really big impact on your <laughs> year. Um, So really kind of learning all these things as you go along, it's really hard when you're first diagnosed, but I find there's challenges along each stage. So that's kind of what we really work with families on that. It's a, it's a learning process. Food is culture. Food is love. Food is ingrained in our society. So you can't just sort of only eat at home. It just doesn't work.
0: Right. So now I want to ask you the question of the Oh My Allergies podcast, which is, you know, what is your Oh My Allergy story?
1: Um, so I will try and keep it shorter. Um, so I really changed my life around allergies. Um, when my son was in first grade, he had an anaphylactic reaction at school. Um, you know, it was an accident. Was a cross contact issue. I got a phone call at work that, you know, he was in an ambulance, he was stable. They were rushing him to the hospital. I wow. happened to be in a board meeting. I was an executive with a a financial firm at the time, I was the only woman I, you know, I had this child who had a chronic illness and a preschooler at the time. My husband traveled at least two weeks out of every month. Um, he happened to be, I believe in Saudi Arabia at the time, but very much unreachable. And even if he was, if I got a phone call saying, you know, my kid was in an ambulance, whether it was a broken arm or anything, any parent, not just mother, any parent would jump up and leave So I grabbed my computer, I grabbed my bag and I ran out the door and trailing behind me was this guy who I will literally never forget. And I can't decide if I should thank him or hit him, (laughs) but uh, not that I condone violence. He said, oh, another mom vacation. Wow. And I was like, wait, this is not a vacation. This is me rushing. And my son ended up being admitted to the ICU. He had a biphasic reaction, which he's had three times in his life now. Wow. Um, you know, I had to call my nanny to organize childcare for my other child and my friends and really sort of call on my mom tribe to get us through that. Cause my husband certainly can't get back in a few hours from Saudi Arabia. Uh, you know, I just, I had to do all the things. I did not miss an email. I kept, you know, everything going at work. I made sure my son was healthy. I was, you know, I was doing it all, but I was exhausted you know, I'm not a big person now, but I was much, much thinner. I was like a hundred pounds soaking wet. I was living on coffee. I may throw salad in during the day, but when it was time and socially acceptable, I would drink coffee to fall asleep. I was, you know, I was not living this healthy world. I looked for, you know, a psychiatrist, a doctor, a coach. I was like, someone has to, there has to be a better way to do this. Like, you know, I'm trying to balance my child who doesn't have allergies and make sure he's involved and not feeling left out and right. loved and we didn't know it at the time but he's on the spectrum um and he has very severe adhd and i didn't even know that yet um you know and keep this kid from not dying essentially making sure he's eating healthy and he's at school and he's included and you know i'm trying to climb that corporate ladder and i just you know so i was working probably more than the people who were there every day because i never missed anything i was always had my email on and just working at the hospital and, I literally couldn't find someone to say, how on earth do I do this? I am exhausted. (laughs) I was probably clinically burnt out and having a nervous breakdown, but no one noticed. You know, my husband was working a million hours a week and, you know, we were trying to pay for the nanny and the preschool and the, you know, and so I finally just, I can't, I literally can't do this another second when I was, and I was at work and I walked into my boss's office and I was like, I'm done. He's like, you can't be done. I was like, no, I'm, I'm done. Like, here's my work phone. Here's my computer. Have a nice life. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And then I got to my car and I was like, oh my God, I just quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I still continued to look for someone to tell me, like, there has to be a better way to do this. And I really, really couldn't find anyone. So I went back to graduate school. Um, and I got my master's in child and adolescent psychology while I was working for her food allergy research and education. And I, I really still found that there wasn't someone like me who walks with your family one-on-one or even in sort of a small group. My favorite is actually our small groups that because um, then they kind of learn to lean on each other and sort mm-hmm. of go through life together. Um, this is how you do it. Like, this is how you do it for you. Not for how you do it for me. Like my best life is certainly not your best life. Right. My goals are not your goals or, you know, someone else in the group. So, you know, this is, we sit down, we write a plan and it changes. So that's really what came to, and I'm still going to school to get licensed as a licensed professional counselor Um, because I think it's important to keep learning so that I am the best resource for people who need me, for people who are at that moment of burnout and exhaustion, because being a caregiver, whether it's to food allergies or diabetes or epilepsy or whatever it is for a child of a chronic illness is hard. And there's not a lot of resources out there to just be like, let's sit down and figure out how to do this. Because if the caregiver is burned out, there's no backup. Like there's no backup for me. Right. There's no backup for millions of other parents out there. So we gotta, we gotta figure out how to take better care and how to have better systems so that, you know, there is a little bit of backup and that we're not on that gerbil hamster wheel. Sorry, we're getting a guinea pig this afternoon. So it's, <laughs> it's on my mind. Um, so that's really what my, oh, my allergy moment was that guy saying, oh, another mom vacation. It's not a vacation
0: wow that's that's crazy a mom vacation because i know what it's like being you know a kid from having allergies but being a parent and having to juggle that with all the other hats that you have to juggle with as a parent especially being a mother and then having someone say that and kind of like writing off your child's allergies that's crazy that's very crazy
1: well and you probably know how often do people say to you stupid things like oh you can have a little yes Oh, there, you know, it's just take Benadryl.
0: Yeah, that happened with me when I first found out about my anaphylactic macadamia nut allergy. You know, whether it was friends or family or just people at my school, you know, they didn't really take it seriously and were just like, oh, well, you can just have a little bit and you can take a pill or you can do this or that or whatever. It's not that big of a deal, but it's like you don't know what it's like when you feel like your life is flashing before your eyes when you're in anaphylactic shock because that's a scary moment. Yeah, you cannot breathe. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never personally had
1: anaphylaxis. I've just witnessed it, and it's terrifying to watch. Yeah, I can't imagine what it is to feel it—to feel your throat closing, to feel your your heart slowing down—and you know, I just can't even imagine. And to be a kid experiencing that, and then you know, my kid doesn't want the shot. <laughs> Get the shot. It's like, no, I don't want it, but it's like it's going to help you. I'm vomiting and can't breathe, and he's like, you know, yes, you have to have the shot you can't even talk and say no. Wow.
0: Yeah. So can you walk us through, uh, the journey of the challenges you've had with, you know, discovering your child, having food allergies and how this led to the concept of you forming the food allergy Institute?
1: So our, um, introduction, and I, I'll admit just like many other people out there who didn't live with food allergies or didn't have someone they knew closely with food allergies. I mean, I knew it existed. I, I, I have a niece who was in elementary school and she had, you know, I spent a lot of time with my sister and the letter would come home saying, please don't send in, you know, stuff with dairy or things had to be labeled. And I thought, all right, whatever, not a big deal. Um, But, you know, I wasn't, he's my oldest, so I wasn't a parent yet. I didn't really understand the extent, Um, but both my children are adopted. So we got Miles, who's my son with allergies, And three days later, I gave him, he was six months old. I gave him smushed up avocado. He vomited and stopped breathing. I'd been a parent for three days. (laughs) Wow. I had no, we knew he had a dairy. What we thought at the time was an intolerance, but I hadn't given him any dairy. He was on a special non-dairy formula that, you know, we got from the agency and this was his first food and, you know, smushed up avocado. He had teeth. I thought, how bad could this be? Really bad. Yeah. So I'm screaming at my husband that I broke him, in many other words, not for <laughs> air. and he called 911. There's a lot, like it's very fuzzy. He called 911. Thankfully, there was an ambulance that was like literally around the corner, about to go out of service to like the rest the Mexican restaurant we used to like walk to. Oh wow. They heard the call come in and like flew to our house, came right. I just remember these giant men coming in scooping him up and giving him a shot. And then he threw up, which who knew a baby could throw up this much, even more, literally all over me. And we were already in the ambulance. They like transferred us into the ambulance in seconds. We were already driving towards the hospital. And I I didn't know what happened. I I thought he was choking. He was Mm -hmm. not choking. And, you know, we ended up going downtown. We lived just in a suburb of Houston at the time to the Texas Children's Hospital where we were admitted, he was very, very gravely ill for about a day. Wow. And we, they did all this testing. And they were like, well, actually, he's really sick. And, you know, we got, we went through weeks of testing and sort of finding out everything he was allergic to and several other conditions he turns out he has. So that was my introductory to parenting. And I remember calling my mother in tears and I said, I broke him. I, I don't even know what I did, but he's like, I broke him. You know, I was already exhausted because, you know, I had a new baby for three days and I really, really hated sleeping, Um, which is funny because now he loves it, Um, you know, (laughs) becoming your typical tween where he's like, I'll get up later. I'm like, no, you have to do school. I don't care if it's virtual. You have to like
0: be awake. Five more minutes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of the five more minutes. And, And so I was just like, what happened? So, I mean, I think that's common though from, you know, the parents in our courses and the parents we talk to one-on-one is, you know, and I have a wonderful business partner, Dini Vecino, um, of Our Cuisine, and we have similar and different skills. She actually also deals a lot more with workplace um, allergy inclusion, Um, but it's a pretty common story. You eat something and you stop breathing or can't breathe or have hives and are just, you know, it's not always immediately anaphylaxis, but it's, serious right and you know even one of my good friends here we've lived here about two and a half years she said before i met you i just thought oh okay i don't send peanut butter in like why are they making such a big deal and she's like i didn't know you could be allergic to things other than peanut butter and then you know people meet us and they're like whoa (laughs) they're allergic to a lot of things (laughs) so i you know and i think it's part of it is there has to be better Advocacy. We need the media to do a better job, right? We need, and you know, there's over the last now 11 years, there has been a lot better voice in the media in in the allergy community. Um, Red Sneakers for Oakley does a really beautiful job of snack safely, but I think one of our ongoing struggles is we do a great job within the allergy community we really communicate to the allergy community really well. There seems to be a barrier communicating to the community at large. Mm. It's not sexy. It's not interesting. It's, it's problematic. Um, Even, you know, it's not seen as a real disease. It's, it's inconvenient. Um, Even though, you know, there's lots and lots of, Stories that tell you it's much more than inconvenient. So why there are slowly eroding through, and you know, like I said, there's several organizations doing a great job, that's not the goal of the Food Allergy Institute. I um, and Dee um, we are not here to do that work. We, my goal, and the reason I formed the Food Allergy Institute is to be on the ground level, is you know, I'm gonna leave that advocacy work to the people who want to do it. Um, you know, and who are good at it, I, you know, I think I probably could do it, but um, I wanna be there one-on-one with those parents who were like me, and you know, my husband was right there with me, but traveling every other week, who have no one to tell them like, this is how you do it. You can travel, you can go on vacation, you can go to school successfully, you have rights. Your schools need to be inclusive. School climate is important. Bullying is such an issue. We need to get it out of our schools. Um, not just for kids with food allergies, but really for teachers, for principals, for parents, for every kid in that school. Cause every time you have a child who's bullied for a food allergy, you have a bully who has an issue. Mm. So it's kind of a two prong issue. Um, you know, I don't want parents struggling through this. I don't want moms and dads not having nights out with their friends with each other because they don't have a babysitter. They don't know how to get a babysitter, how to train a babysitter, um, I don't want kids not doing sports or theater or whatever it is they want to do because their parents are too afraid to leave them at the rock climbing gym or the, you know, theater production. And, you know, they have to work and they can't, you know, you cannot be everywhere at every time. I mean, I only have two kids and I can't be at all the places I have to work Mm and we cannot be I already feel like a taxi driver, (laughs) you know, so I want people to have the life they want to, if their life is kind of hanging at home, if that's what they want, fine. But if you want to have a active lifestyle where you're going to this and that and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and drama and track and another kid is doing karate and another kid is in the theater and another kid is doing chess club, that can absolutely be done and it can be done safely and it can be done inclusively. And you don't have to have a nervous breakdown doing it. And you can travel the world and you can be on airlines and, you know, in a post COVID world, you can do all this safely. Um, You know, as regards to food allergies, it just takes a little bit of planning. It takes building up your tribe and teaching everyone to speak out. Um, On Instagram this week and next week, we're really gonna talk a lot about advocating for yourself and teaching your kids to advocate. one of the moms I've been talking to lately, she's really struggling to get her kid to have eye contact. And so as a result, she's taking the their teenager's phone away because texting is such a per you know. And I do it too. I, I'm like, why is someone calling me who's dead? Um, but we need to learn how to look at someone in the eyes because we need to know that when you're advocating for yourself, you have to have their attention. You have to know they see you and you have to speak up. You have to be heard. So whether you're in a restaurant or on a plane or you know at your activity, you need to have that skill. And it's not a natural skill for a lot of people. So kids, teens, even adults don't always have this skill. You have to look up, look in the eye and be heard. So that's one of the things that, you know, we work on, even if you don't want to have a million activities in your life, when your life is at stake, when you're ordering at a restaurant or at school or talking to your teacher or your colleague at work, you need to be able to know you're being heard. So it's things like that, that we really work on with families. And we do really work with the entire family, including siblings, because siblings are your first friends, your lifelong friends, hopefully, you know, so we really want to work with families where they are and where they want to go.
0: So you talked about, you know, advocating for yourself, not only as a person who has the allergy, but also if a parent has a child that has an allergy, being able to do it from a parent's point of view. So what are some of your tips that you have for parents who, you know, want to advocate for their kids at school, but they just don't know where to start and who to go to?
1: So, you know, you can go to us. Shameless plug. Um <laughs> Know your rights. So food allergy is a disability. And I know people don't like that, that word, but it really just means you need some extra help. It means you need some accommodations. It doesn't mean you're not capable. It just means there's something that you need help with. So under the American with Disabilities Act, it just means you have a difference, you know, with eating, breathing, a life activity, and eating is a life activity, and that is really easy to find. Um, we have a whole blog about it on our website. Talk to your teachers, really understand what your rights are so that you can go to the school in writing and get a five, and you have to ask for it. You have to get a 504 plan, so if you need things like, you um, tables wash, and one kind of, which I hate to say, silver lining of COVID is to, people are now understanding hand washing. People are understanding what cleaning of the surface is, not just washing it down with water, but actual cleaning. Of course, we all know that hand sanitizer <laughs> does not get rid of proteins. It does right. get rid of germs, you know, like COVID and flu and strep, but it does not get rid of food allergens. So, you know, talk about like if your kid's eating in the cafeteria or, you know, right mm-hmm. now a lot of schools that are in person are eating in the classroom. What does that mean for food allergies? So going in and talking about what your child needs to be safe and included, that includes if field trips. If they're going to be involved in an activity, you know, a lot of sports before big meets or games or things like that, they'll have a pasta or a piece of, you know, a carb loading event. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're allergic to wheat, how are they going to include your child, right, safely without sort of calling them out? Um, and so, one of the things I found in doing this for a couple of years now, or more than a couple, I guess, um, <laughs> is the kids don't care; they really don't. It's the adults. The adults tend to have the bigger problem with making adjustments. This is how we've always done it. We've done it since I was on the high school team 20 years ago. Well, right. You know, or, you know, my child has looked forward to having this cupcake in first grade her whole life. If that is true, we need to talk about what's wrong with your child's life. You know, maybe we just don't have parties at school with cupcakes. Like we have other ways of celebrating young children and their birthdays, right? We have dance parties and things like that. And so we have lots of recommendations for that. Um, but if you have trouble figuring out that 504 thing, um, please reach out to us. We have you know, some free appointments available and then we do have consulting, individual consulting for that. We have group classes. We have all kinds of things to help you with that. Uh, um, and it's pretty basic. You know, any school and any school who fights you on it, um, you know, we are happy to work with schools. We work with schools all the time in improving their culture. Um, And one of the good things in doing this for a school in improving their culture is it doesn't just affect the food allergic student. It makes working there better. makes life easier for the teachers, for the counselors, for the nurse. Um, And then it makes it really better for the whole school. Um, You know, we don't recommend having individual tables for the food allergy kids because what you're doing is putting kids with different food allergies together. Right. And then you're also saying, hey, that kid is different. So just imagine if you had a table for all the kids who had a different disability. So if they all had crutches or wheelchairs and you said, okay, all the disabled kids, you go over there. Can you imagine what the media would do if they, you said, oh, at my school, all the kids who have a physical disability have to sit at a table.
0: Yeah, that's crazy because it makes, like you said, it makes people and kids and even teenagers feel like they're being ostracized, like they're different. And it's not wrong to acknowledge that people are different, but... How can they be able to still navigate those different social situations without, you know, sticking out like a sore thumb and still feeling included and, and feeling like, you know, they're able to do the things that, you know, kids and teenagers um, normally do and not feel like, you know, they're alone or they're like a lone star.
1: Yeah, because you're entitled to a free, equal public education. There's an. I'm not saying it totally right because there's an acronym, but... Um, And so we've proven from civil rights cases and many other things that separate is not equal. So when you're separating them out, you're also lunch and these social parts of the day are equally as important as the academics. So if you're not learning to interact with your peers, how to navigate social interactions, you're losing a really important part of life because when you go off to work, yes, you're gonna need to know how to do math, um, you know, it's funny about all this remote and virtual, um, school as I am learning, I am not that good at fifth grade math anymore. <laughs> um, luckily I'm still okay with third grade, not so great at fifth grade. I'm like texting the teacher. What do I do with this box? What we didn't <laughs> do long division this way. And she's like, it's okay. I have a YouTube video. Great. <laughs> um, but what you do need to do is know how to like have social interaction. You need to, you know, you have lunch at work when we, everyone goes back to work, um, You have dinners out and things like that with people of different backgrounds. You need to learn how to navigate those. And the best place to do that is in elementary school, in middle school, in high school. And I don't want to say to a middle school student where, let's face it, middle school sucks for everyone. You have to sit over there. Let's, let's make you, let's just put a target on your back and say, you're weird. Um, let's not make it worse. Right.
0: And you mentioned about having like a food allergy uh, like health plan, like a 504 plan. Could you explain, you know, food allergy health plan to their purpose and why parents should get one for their food allergic kids? Um, And should a child have one no matter, you know, what their age is? Kind of um, explain that.
1: Yeah. So actually, I just put up yesterday um, on our Instagram page. We were really talking about what a 504 plan is with myself and Didi, Um, but a 504 plan is referring to section 504 of the American Disabilities Act from 1973. But all it says is that my kid needs some accommodations. And so it really puts in writing and it's a legally binding document what those accommodations are. And so it's things like before lunch, everyone has to wash their hands. My, wherever my child chooses to sit, that area has to be wiped down. And so, you know, there's give and take it's, it's hard for the school, you know, you don't want to be that Karen that says, well, they're going to sit down and you're a different place every day. You don't let them pick like where they're there and their friends are going to sit and then say, okay, can you guys sit in this area every day? And they have sort of an extra wipe down, you know, with clean, make sure it's a clean rag, you know, cause I've seen in school cafeterias where they use the same rag in the same bucket all day. That's I mean, I have more than one problem with that, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, just, you know, with a clean rag and soap and what, you know, whatever is done, you know, that area is wiped down. My child may have more than normal amount of doctor's appointments. So when this is the case, they have extended time to turn and work, work maybe. Also things like the teacher must have extra training on recognizing anaphylaxis. Now, every teacher in the school, every adult in the school should have training on anaphylaxis recognizing anaphylaxis. I mean, every, every adult, the janitor, the cafeteria worker, literally every adult, because what if a child has anaphylaxis in the hallway? Mm -hmm. There's a case in California where a a custodian or janitor saw a child in the back, go into the bathroom, not looking well, he followed him in and said, are you okay? And immediately recognized the child was going into anaphylaxis. If that child just was left to his own devices, he would not be with us today. Wow. So I I mean, every adult recognizes a scientist trained on that and they are trained on how to use their, um, EpiPen or auto injector device, whichever, you know, we, we have like three different brands in our house for some reason. Um, Mm and you know, I think it depends on what our insurance divide decides in that year, day, month, Mm -hmm. um, you know, things like the parent will be notified of any field trips, certain number of days or weeks before parents are, you know, advised of any activities that involve food, a certain number of days, whatever, you know, I like to say five business days. So that gives you the opportunity to go to, to go to the grocery store. It usually gives you sort of the weekend. And some, sometimes I say seven, depending on the school. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make something or make sure your kid has something that's safe, it gives you time to cook it. Like, you know, (laughs) most of us are working parents. I don't like, I don't have time, you know, things like Um, For lockdowns, there's safe food in the classroom, you know, and then as the kids changing schools or changing classes as they get older, there's safe food, you know, what if you're locked down for hours in the class in each classroom? Um, You know, they're allowed to carry their auto injector on their person. Um, When there's a substitute, there will be a picture with you know, understanding what allergic reaction is in the the substitute folder. Like most schools, when you have a substitute come in, there's like a folder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on my desk. And um, I'm, you know, and I know a big problem around the country right now, especially is for those in-person schools, they're really struggling with getting substitutes So just make sure, you know, one of the things we mentioned on our IGTV yesterday was now's a good time. The new year's a good time. Some schools are going back to school, some person, some are, you know, and it changes depending on the r- rate of COVID in your school and um, to really revisit those plans and see what's going on. If your kid is in person, see what's going on at your school and make sure you know, everyone is aware just because there's COVID doesn't mean food allergies have stopped. Right. Um, And it's important to keep it really through high school, because if you go to college and ask for accommodations, you can still have accommodations for a disability in college. When you get to college, it becomes more of the student's responsibility. And really the student should be involved by late elementary school to middle school and having these conversations and going to these meetings. These are official meetings. Notes are taken, minutes are taken. Everyone has to sign the documents, but you want them involved so that they are learning to advocate for themselves. So they're understanding what their allergy disease means and what their responsibilities are. They're responsible as they get older for you know, saying no to food, to checking labels, reading labels, understanding what they can and cannot eat, telling people when they don't feel well, um, and teachers need to understand some kids are in public preschool. Teachers need to understand kids might describe allergic reactions. Like my tongue feels itchy or I feel bugs in my throat um, things like that. Um, but then as you get to college, you need to, you know, if you're staying on campus, working with the cafeteria services, working with the disability office to get maybe a station or, you know talking with the chef about what you can and cannot eat and making sure food is available to you, maybe having a, a suite mate that understands allergies. Um, one of the families I worked with in the past, when they contacted the disability service about rooming, because they were living in a dorm, they said, oh, we have a list of food allergy students that are looking for roommates. What's your allergy? <laughs> wow. I was like, wow. Okay. And so they mapped, they tried to m- kind of match up personalities and allergies. So I don't know how well that actually worked, but I thought that was kind of interesting, Um, sad and interesting, like the rate of allergy was so high for that year that they were like matching them up. Um, You know, that's obviously not always going to be the case, but you do have the right to accommodations. You're, You're going to be more and more responsible for them as you, you know, grow, but that's, you know, it's important to keep it up. If you have any questions, you can always reach out.
0: So what are some questions to ask uh, when choosing a school for your children, you know, whether that's elementary, middle school, high school, or even college? So the important distinction is if you go to public school, obviously you have to go to the school where you
1: live. But if you're picking kind of where you live on, you know, like we moved. Um, we move a lot. So I always pick where we live based on the school. So I went and toured the school that, you know, the elementary school, I asked the principal, you know, what is their food allergy? Is there a nurse? There's not always a nurse anymore on campus, especially as you get to high school. What, you know, how are the, how are these the staff trained? Do they understand where's food served? Where's food eaten? Is there snacking in the classroom? Um, as you get to high school, you'll see kids eating more and more like in the hallway. It's like one big snacking. Um, And I didn't totally understand it at first, but then I started to meet high school boys and they are always hungry. Um, (laughs) So then I started talking to more high school parents and saying, how do you handle your kid's allergy? Like, let's really talk this through. So that's when you have to understand kids have to be more responsible. They have to be more autonomous. So, And not, honestly, not everyone agrees with me, but my recommendation is even though legally they are not required to make their safe space, I feel more comfortable personally. And honestly, a lot of my clients too, that when they get to the classroom and another silver lining of COVID is people are more used to everyone having, you know, those Clark's wipes things Mm -hmm. they pull them out, they wipe their desk down. Honestly, if someone gives you a hard time, who cares? You just say, hey, I have a lot of food allergies. I don't feel like having an allergic reaction today. And that's, you know, another skill building is, you know, how to sort of respond to these kind of comments. But, you know, talking to the school about what their plans are, you know, is there a nurse on staff? If there's not a nurse on staff, who is in charge of the physical health of the students? Mm -hmm. It's also important to know that in private schools, the 504 plans don't exist. That is only a public school option not to say that private schools won't make accommodations but they are not required to by law they can they might even if they say they're going to they don't always keep them most of them will because you know you're paying them quite a bit of money but so that's where you have to really dig deeper and really advocate harder and farther there are a lot of private schools that do really well and they're known for doing really well for food allergies and and again you need to ask how they handle food how they handle washing and sanitizing and inclusion one of the biggest questions I really ask is how do you keep every student included, all disabilities, um, whether it's intellectual, physical, you know, eating, what is your inclusion policy? So that's a really interesting question to ask. I get different answers at every level, every state, every county, city. Um, so that's an interesting way to find out. So I ask, what's your inclusion policy? And you'd be amazed how many real, they're like, oh, well, we, you know, we, we have civil rights. And I was like, no, no, no. But how do you keep everyone? I'm going to see how they keep the staff included, how they keep the kids included. What's your anti-bullying policy? How many times have you had to enforce your anti-bullying policy? If they say never, that means they're not actually doing anything. Mm. There's no way they didn't have anyone bullying. So it's, you know, and then how do you, what are the, you know, what repercussions have you had to actually use? And they're like, oh, just once or twice you're lying or you're not paying attention. So it's just. Um, you just really have to be, and if you can really try and be involved in your school, not everyone can, you know, if you work a job where you have to be at work at eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night, you're not going to be volunteering to read the story in kindergarten. You just can't, you know, you're not going to be the one who's up there twice a week doing whatever it is they do. I actually don't know because I have a job, right. Um, You know, and I do work for myself, but I am busy and I'm, I am as involved as I can be at school, put it that way, but not everyone can be, but being as involved as you can, even if it's sending your kid's teacher an email once a week, say, Hey, just checking in. How's everything going? Do you need anything? Um, You know, we all can't provide the classroom supplies, but just try and make sure your teacher knows that you're aware of what's going on. And that will fade as your kids get older because you've taught them to advocate for themselves.
0: So What would your advice be to people, you know, whether that's a preteen, teens, adults who have people in their lives that have allergies, but they don't really know how to support that person, you know, whether that's emotionally or physically? So my first bit of advice, if you have someone in your life who has an allergy, let's start by
1: believing them. (laughs) That's a good start. That's a good start. You know, that's one of the biggest complaints I hear is, you know, my... My sister's boyfriend doesn't believe in allergies. What? Like, that's a really common thing for people not to, oh, they think it's just fake. They saw on some sitcom that, you know, it's not real. Wow. Okay. So that's where they get their medical advice is, you know, some sitcom. Um, Or, you know, it's a, they saw on Facebook that you can cure it by having Chinese herbs and running more you need more sunshine. So <laughs> let's just start by believing people, because if you could just have more sunshine, my kid definitely would not have allergies. Cause I basically, as soon as it's warm enough, I kick my kids outside. Cause I'm like, you're not getting the house dirty, <laughs> you know, and let's stop shaming people for having allergies. Let's stop shaming their parents. It doesn't matter if you were breastfed or bottle fed, or, you know, you're, you had antibiotics, whatever your life was, it is what it is. And I can guarantee you, your parents did the best they could, you know, your life was what it was or what it is. And if you have someone that's really toxic, there's no reason why you can't just walk away. I mean, obviously if it's your parents and you're nine, that's a little harder, but as you're a teen and tween, it's all about finding your tribe who supports you, who doesn't. Um, you know, especially if we've gone through this last really hard year, um, I think more and more we're finding who's our real friends. It's things that I, you know, I encourage parents to talk to their kids about early and often. Why is this person your friend? You know, are they serving you? Are you serving them? Are you being a good friend? Um, You know, and if they're not, there's no reason to just sort of not be their friend. And sometimes it requires a conversation. And sometimes it's a little bit Mm. ghosting. Um, You know, it's not the best thing to do. But sometimes when you're a teen or tween, it's just sort of like they're on that, sort of outer band of friendship and they're just kind of toxic and, you know, they might still be in that outer circle because you have similar friends, but there's no reason to regularly interact with them. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of mom shaming. If you've opened any magazine or Instagram or anything, you know, if you have that toxic sort of mom shaming, or, you know, why didn't you do this? Or you should do that, or you should do this treatment or that treatment, but it's not right for your family. Just say, no, thanks. No is a complete sentence. You don't have to explain why or what you're doing to literally anyone. No. Thank you, but no. Walk away. And if it becomes too much to say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be able to continue this type of conversation with you. I'd love to continue being your friend, but I think this is a topic we're going to have to end. And if that doesn't work, then again, it might be time to push them out of your life. And it's really a you know, you can't have constant negativity Brains brains your energy and someone who's a caretaker, you only have so much energy to give. So it's, you know, really, where do you want to put your resources? Do you want to put it towards positivity or negativity? And, you know, sometimes you have to deal with a little bit of negativity. You might have that sister who's constantly giving you remedies and you just kind of say, Oh, interesting. And just throw it away. <laughs> and as long as I'm not kind of harping on you, or did you try that? Did you do this? Or, you know, okay, thanks. Good. You know, where they're giving you Hey, if you have this oil and then you eat your allergen, believe it or not, someone has said this to me. If you have this essential oil and rub it on your feet, then you can eat your allergen. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, okay. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: Thanks for the info. I wonder why millions of people haven't done this yet. And you know, and a lot of the meanwhile, they're just don't want to see you suffer, but some people just want to be right.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, like, how in my life, you know, people have come up to me telling me about my allergy and acting like they know more about it than me, and it's just so weird because it's like, I understand that you're trying to be helpful, but, I mean, you're going to make sure that you know everything that you need to know about your allergy or allergies, but I appreciate that you're coming from a place of trying to help, but, like, thanks but no thanks. Right you know, it's just, it's just like anything else in life.
1: You know, sometimes you just have to smile and nod, but sometimes you really have to, you know, if they're giving you dangerous or wrong information, you do, you maybe want to correct them, but there's a difference between having a conversation and people just talking at you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's an important distinction. So just, you know, Put up those barriers. Put up, you know, that boundary, and just say you're crossing my boundaries right now. Um, and really, really develop that tribe. It's really important to have sort of some non-negotiables as a family, as a person. To one thing in our course, we re- we talk about in the first week is what is your family's constitution? So I think every family, every I call it a constitution. You know, you can call it a mantra, whatever you want. Um, what are sort of the rules for your family? Um, because, like I said earlier. Your life, my life, my neighbor's life, people who live two states over, they don't have the same goals. They don't have the same roles. you know, um, mm-hmm. especially having a tween. I'm getting, did you know my kids were the only ones without cell phones and YouTube channels? Um, because that's not something I think they need or is healthy for them right now. But I do know there's a lot of fifth graders and apparently third graders with cell phones and YouTube channels. So I- referred my own children to our family constitution to say that that is not something they need right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also something helpful to show when you have new people come into your lives, whether it's a new caregiver, like a babysitter or, you know, the same people, you know, grandparents, when they come in wanting to give maybe gifts that don't fall into the line of your family constitution. So it doesn't have, it's not everything that has to do with food allergies. It's just sort of how you live. Mm -hmm. And so then that way you sort of have a starting point of building up your tribe of people who maybe don't believe in the exact same things, but they respect it. Right. So, you know, you don't have to just pull it out and show it to everyone, but it's helpful to sort of have that baseline. And just like any other sort of living document, it's going to change as you age, your children age, you maybe move and grow as a person, but you want to sort of have that baseline.
0: Right. Now, one thing that I always get questions about and just see parents struggle with is having, you know, the food allergy talk with their kids. You know, there's a lot of parents with allergic kids that may question when to tell them about their food allergies, like like explaining it to them and how to be able to say it. So what would be your advice to parents who are new to this world of food allergies on explaining food allergies or just allergies in general to their children and the seriousness of them early and often the second your kid has especially a life threatening anaphylaxis
1: diagnosis or reaction you know you start we use the word itchy so whatever works for kind of your family but we started with that's an itchy food that's dangerous that's a no no um because you know we're dealing with baby and toddler as he got older you know and he remembers he had because he had when we originally had a list of thirteen. Oh wow! Um, we really struggled with feeding him. So he had a lot of allergic reactions early on because we we left the hospital thinking we had this list of eight. Well, we quickly found out we had thirteen. Um, so he remembered having some of these reactions. Um, so that was that's a little bit easier for us. But you know we talk about that. This is dangerous just like you would talk about the stove is hot fire is bad mm-hmm. it's life threatening you do not want to go to your own child's funeral i can guarantee it right so you have to be very open and honest this is not you don't have to make it scary but you have to re, you know just like fire and anything else and you know, use the word you are allergic use that word so it's not a new and scary word That means this is dangerous for you. You will stop breathing. And tell them you will stop breathing. Just like everything else, we wanna use the real word. We don't wanna have a cute name. You know, you can say this is itchy, but I also would say this is dangerous. This is itchy. You will stop breathing. So that there's a lot, there's a big vocabulary. Kids are smart. And if we say it in a neutral tone, they're not gonna be scared of it. If you're not scared, they're not going to be scared. So a lot of what I work with my clients on is overcoming your own fear, your own anxiety, because otherwise you're going to stay home in this bubble. You're not going to go to the, you know, the neighborhood book club, which I know is wine club. Um, I've yet to read a book in a book club in a neighborhood. <laughs> um, I think I read one chapter once. Um, you know, you're not going to go to the gym by yourself. You're not going to go shopping by yourself. You're not going to get your nails done or. You know go on those long whatever it is you like to do you're not gonna do it you're gonna be home and burnt out and the only thing you're gonna identify with is is a caregiver and that's just not healthy you want to have your own life you were a person before you were a parent so you don't want to forget that so you want to teach your children that even when maybe they're around a babysitter you know that they can still say no itchy no dangerous no i'm allergic you know, as they get older, they should identify, you should have a list, you know, on the refrigerator. You know, I recommend people make magnets um, when their kids are little of everything they're allergic to. Hmm. You can download, I think it's right on our site. I'll have to double check. Um, we have this great assistant who does all our web stuff because we don't. Um, and, you know, a number, what the signs of anaphylaxis are. Download it, print it, throw it on your refrigerator, throw it on your pantry. Um, you know, a lot of organizations have that it's nothing special, but go to like Vistaprint or one of those, you know, instant printing things, get a magnet, put on there, all of your phone numbers, your doctor's phone number, all the allergies you have. So there's no question of anyone in the house. And I keep it on the refrigerator because where are you going to go get food? Right. Um, you know, just sort of as a double checking as I was teaching my child to read labels and you know, it's an ongoing process. I've also written other names for things like for milk, you know, for dairy, you know, whey and lactose and things like that. Um, so, you know, really work on teaching them young, early and often and use the real words.
0: So I know you talked about, you know, allergy anxiety and we talked about it a little bit earlier. You know what has helped you ease your allergy anxiety and and stress as a parent and what are your tips for parents with allergic kids
1: so first you need to take care of yourself um one of the sort of series i would do is self-care sunday you need to pick a day it doesn't have to be sunday you need to pick a day to take care of yourself you know when you know we're all on airplanes at some point um i used to be on them a lot more you know they tell you put your oxygen mask on before your kids And what I was not doing previously was taking care of myself. You need to drink water every day. You need to take, if it's 10 minutes a day, even during isolation, and because of my son's other health conditions, we have been completely isolated since March 13th. We're recording this on January 15th. Someone can do the math. It's a long time. Um, But I mean, I take 10 minutes every single day. If it's, I go for a run, I go on my Peloton bike, I am by myself for 10 minutes, usually more, but it's a minimum of 10 minutes, even if it's locking the door to the bathroom and taking a long hot shower, 10 minutes of no one saying, mom, 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 mom. (laughs) Um, you know, if you like reading, knitting, whatever it is, do it for 10 minutes a day. And you're going to have to just close and lock doors when you have small children, really taking care of yourself and then calling on your tribe. If you're not a single parent, if you have a partner, whether you're divorced or together or whatever, but they are, if you're co-parenting or you're married or whatever your situation is, call on your partner. Call on your friends, your family, anyone who supports you. And, you know, as we talked about setting up boundaries, there are people you need to push out, but then there's people you need to pull in. Do you have a best friend? Do you have a good friend? Do you have any friends? And if not, we need to get you some. We're going to work on that too. (laughs) That you can just talk to. And I know it's really hard during this time to have a lot of interaction, but if you can talk on Zoom... Um, you know, one of my really good friends is an OBGYN in Houston, and we've done some zoom dates for lack of a better word, go on long walks with them, connect, you need to connect as a human being. Um, and really, like I said, let someone else do it. You know, if the laundry doesn't get done, who cares? You know, I mean, I definitely have sent my kids to school with like a shirt that's been worn before. Don't tell anyone, you know, if the vacuuming goes a day, if the dishes don't get done, like seriously, let it go fed and healthy. You know, you have to lower your standards a little bit. And they'll come back as your kids get older. One of the reasons I had kids is I don't really like vacuuming. I make them do it. Um, (laughs) You know, pull in your tribe, ask for help. Asking for help is a superpower. You cannot do it all alone. And that's what I was trying to do. And that's what a lot of parents try and do, especially moms. You know, one of the things that I find frustrating when I'm talking to women is they do it themselves. They're like, it's easier if I just do it. Okay. Yeah, honestly, it is. It's easier if i just do it but if you just do everything all the time you need to find some things that you push off you know there's got to be a division of labor at some point point. and if you're a single parent it's much much harder but there's got to be something you can hand off in our family i do most of the medical appointments because i do work for myself i have a more flexible schedule my husband has a regular you know corporate job And we've also decided that it's easier for continuance of care. So that it's hard if one person goes to this one, one person goes to that one and trying to keep up with all the conversations, it's, it's harder. Mm -hmm. And because we have a child with complex medical issues, we also have to fly out of town to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. So if you're sending someone different each time, it's confusing, but that means he does like my other kid, you know, the kid's dentist appointments, like the regular, doesn't need continuum of care. He does the grocery shopping more than I do. Like, you know, we, you have to balance it because you literally can't do everything. And yeah, do I love the way, you know, he cleans the kitchen or he does the laundry? Not really, but it's done-ish. Right. <laughs> so you just kind of let it go. And yeah, he takes longer to like fold things. Do I love having baskets of unfolded clothes in my room? No. Just go in there and go to sleep, so you kind of have to let go of perfect and just get it done,
0: right? I definitely think you know, when you are juggling allergies as a parent and then other medical health conditions, and just you know, dealing with a child that doesn't have allergies as well, it's a lot to juggle, you know, with just one person. So, like you said, if you're in the position where you have your own tribe uh, to be able to help you at moments where you might be feeling like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders, it definitely helps to be able to have that balance in your life. You know, whether you have people in your life that may have been having allergies longer than you and your family has been dealing with them and getting advice that way and being able to have people around you that just understand the world of allergies. They may not have the exact allergies that, you know, you and your family have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, but still can be able to provide some type of support and you know that they're not going to make fun of you and your kid or kids and, you know, they're just going to come from a place of understanding where you're coming from and just want to be a support system
1: and have fun. Find time for fun. Like silly, laugh out loud, fun. <laughs> so, if you know the boring stuff gets pushed off cuz you're going to have fun. Push it off. Rome was not built in a day. Find time for fun. It's really important for your mental health. And whatever you find fun is fun for you. You know, don't listen to the critics of, you know, everything. Whatever you find fun is fun for you and your family. You know my kids really like hiking my husband and i like hiking we you know and our hikes are different than maybe other hikes and they take a really long time because they're really slow because we have to look at every bug and every leaf and every stick <laughs> but whatever they're outside and they're playing
0: right and being able to have that sense of normalcy and that at the end of the day you know they're kids and they want to be able to experience things that kids normally experience and Even though, yeah, they may have medical conditions and food allergies and other different diagnoses, but just being able to, like you said, have fun and being able to have those silly moments. And yes, you have allergies, but it's not something that's going to hold you back from being able to experience all that life has to give. Absolutely. So my last question for you is, for those who are new to the allergy and you know, intolerance and sensitivities world, uh, what advice would you give them? It gets easier. <laughs> it really does. Ask for help.
1: Like I said, help is a superpower. And do it one step at a time. Don't, don't jump into anything. Do your research. Don't do your research on social media, like the moms groups on Facebook that's not research. Um, you know, listen to the professionals, Mm -hmm. listen to your doctor, um, you know, and what might be right and even safe for you, what might be safe for you may not be right for you. You know, there's a lot of like all immune therapies and different, really exciting therapies that are coming aboard, but it might not be the right time for you. Keep in mind just because it's available doesn't mean it's the right time for you. It may be the time for you in a month and a year, whatever you feel. So really listen to your gut talk, you know, talk to a therapist, a coach um, your medical team. Don't rush into things just because on the mom's group, they were like, this is the best ever. My life is free. They may have left out the year of doing treatment.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So maybe you don't, you can do it. You know, some family that I was talking to I want to say back in February, they had started looking at some treatments and they, they stopped because even though they were like, wow, we have free time during COVID, it was so stressful for them to be going for treatment during COVID that they felt like the negative outweighed the positive. They kept thinking we're being so stupid and they're beating themselves up over stopping, you know, even thinking about stopping treatment because technically they had free time. No one was going into the office. No one was going into school. they Mm -hmm. felt like it was a wasted opportunity, but then I finally know i was talking to the mom i said well so this is wasted why is it wasted Mm. really think about that so we you know i'm i'm a big fan of list so we really talked through the emotions around it like if every time you have to leave your house you're having a complete panic attack and it takes a day to recover your kid is upset and having nightmares what are you wasting here so there's more than the medical and i you know i'm I always, I know I'm not a medical doctor. I'm soon to be a licensed counselor, but not yet. You know, I am a mom with a lot of experience. I am, you know, I have my master's in psychology, but I want you to really think about how it makes you feel. So your feelings, your, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. So as you go through this, listen to the professionals. I'm well, I'm happy to work through situations with you, even if it's a one-time call, but just because it's good for someone else's doesn't mean it's good for you. And maybe that treatment would, you know, maybe it would have been worth working through, you know, that panic. And we did talk about doing that and working through some strategies. And after working through that for about two weeks, you just decided like, no, it's not worth it. We'd rather not put ourselves at risk for COVID. And that's a really, really, really valid excuse, not even excuse, just reason, you know, And honestly, a lot of people have gone through that during this. Like, is it worth leaving, you know, going to a medical establishment, even like you're not just going to the park, you're going to a medical establishment. So that's, everything has its pros and cons. And, you know, sometimes even during non-COVID times when they're doing treatment, it's a big time commitment. Right. So, you know, just think there are things that are always coming abroad. There's doing, you know, people are doing amazing research. So what's right for you is not always right for someone else. So don't judge people. Don't judge people for being a helicopter mom or maybe not being involved enough. Everyone's doing the best they can. And really, when I, you know, when I look at friends and neighbors and people online and I, the shaming is ridiculous. I, you know, one of my new year's resolutions was really only to be on Facebook for work when I have to be, um, because it was kind of hurting my own mental health. <laughs>
0: like, um, you know, take a step back.
1: If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all.
0: That's, That's really great advice for, you know, whether you're a parent or whether you're someone who experiences allergies as a whole. I think that's really good advice to be able to just take with you and just keep, you know, in the forefront of your mind and even in the back of your mind. But thank you so much, Leah, for coming on the Oh My Allergies podcast. I'm super excited that we had this chat and really were able to kind of talk about a lot of different topics. Uh, Where can everyone find the Food Allergy Institute? So the best way to sort of keep up with us is on Instagram at
1: the Food Allergy Institute, or you can look on our website at foodallergyinstitute.com.
0: Definitely go check out the Food Allergy Institute. And again, thank you so much, Leah, for coming on the show.
1: Thanks. Have a great day.
0: You too, Leah. Again, thank you so much, Leah Roboloto from the Food Allergy Institute for coming on the Oh My Allergies podcast. We just really had a great conversation and I enjoyed, you know, hearing her talk about the emotional and psychological impact of food allergies on parents and kids how to be able to navigate those situations in a school setting, going out from a parent's perspective, you know, everything that she's gone through, how that led to her forming the Food Allergy Institute and really just providing such a really great wealth of knowledge to the Oh My Allergies listeners. If you guys want to connect with the Food Allergy Institute, you can go to their website, which is foodallergyinstitute.com. Dot com and then also follow them on instagram which is the food allergy institute i hope you guys enjoyed today's episode if you did be sure to hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice and also make sure that you remember to rate and review the podcast hopefully it is five stars and tell people that you know and don't know about the oh my allergies podcast follow us on instagram which is at oh my allergies so o-h-m-y A-L-L-E-R-G-I-E-S, which is the name of this podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram just to stay in the loop with the podcast and just to see all the fun content that we post on the Instagram page. Rate and review the podcast. Like I said, hopefully it is five stars. And I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye, guys.